take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook and Instagram at couplesynergy. And please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of. With the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, Gene and I will be talking about turn-ons. And or turn-offs. Turn-offs. <laughs> and, and turn-offs, right. Yeah, this is, uh, I think this is a really hot topic no pun intended, because a lot of the couples that we work with, their their intimacy has suffered. Yeah, and in particular, we're talking about the feminine perspective, Yeah, which is sure. not always the female gender, but it is most often. Right. And so, you know, kind of keep that in mind as you're listening to what we say. If your relationship sounds opposite, then it's probably because you tend to uh, lean more in the opposite direction energetically, mm-hmm. masculine and feminine. Well, when we're you know, interviewing couples, when we're assessing them and assessing their intimacy, you know, we'll ask about frequency of sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. And most often we run across couples where you know, maybe it's once a month, at if best, yeah. right? Sometimes it's you know, once every quarter. Except for the really emotionally unhealthy ones, they're having a lot of sex. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that is true. It's because they're in such a state of crisis all the time that the only time they feel good is when they're having sex. So they have mm-hmm. a lot of sex, even though they're not very connected. So I don't know if that's really a great representative of intimacy. But for those couples that intimacy has, has suffered and waned, um, most often you find someone pursuing the other person. If we go to the beginning, you know, the male body, the male mind, the male body is designed to be a predator. It is and designed to, to, yes. Hunt down. Right. And conquer. Mm-hmm. And so a lovely way of saying that is pursue and woo. Mm-hmm. A potential a more mate. appropriate way right. of saying it, yes. <laughs> and the female body is designed to be prey, is designed to become submissive to a potential mate who makes her feel safe and protected, and that she has, at least in an unconscious way, because we are still animals somewhere inside, mm-hmm. uh, believes that this person is someone who could take care of her in a very vulnerable state of pregnancy. So this is just biological basics mm-hmm. that we're talking about. 
So how does that play out in a committed marriage between a couple? Well, especially in today's day and in age, today's day and age with all of the factors, are sometimes involved, women so. are making more money. It's not even about that kind of survival stuff anymore. Right. Um, Christian Northrop has this really interesting idea that, you know, she says the way that a couple first meets is kind of how the relationship plays out. So if the woman is the pursuer, she spends the rest of the relationship trying to motivate him and get him to do stuff. If he introduces himself first, he's much more likely to maintain that type of behavior through the relationship. So that's interesting thought. So think about how you guys first met and who made that initial first step because that right there already decided who is the pursuer and who is the the one being pursued. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So was I I was the pursuer then. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, learning some stuff about ourselves here. Yeah, a lot of times when I'm working with women that are single that are trying to get in a relationship it's like they need to dial back on their corporate person or their career mm, person that is yeah. that is assertive and aggressive and goes and gets what they want because if they do that in a relationship, they make it way too easy. If they're supposed to be, I know prey is a terrible word but it really is. <laughs> to think about, but if they're supposed to be submissive, it, it really is the work of the other person to say, hey, it's okay for you to let your guard down and be vulnerable with me because I'm going to keep you safe. Is that a better way of saying it? Yeah, that's a much better way of saying that. So, you know, we we are talking about this not just from an emotional perspective, but now if we really refine it down to sexual pursuit within the relationship, you know, that is something that a lot of couples get in trouble with. So I'm going to get in trouble a little bit more. All right. Yeah. So men tend to be selfish. Yeah. So I would agree with you on that. Sure. <laughs> they are uh, over-mothered. So it's women's fault, I think, <laughs> that we do too much for our boys and we expect more from our girls. And so uh, boys ex- kind of expect to be taken care of. And in the beginning of a relationship, it's it's the natural... Uh, nature of a woman to be generous and to give and to take care of and nurture her partner. And in the beginning, it seems to work pretty well because both people are really trying hard to please the other person. I would say it's also complicated because most men today are not ushered across that bridge from boyhood to manhood. They're not taught by a strong male role model, you know, how to be that giving and caring and considerate, you know, strong partner as a man. Yeah, I remember, you know, as a younger person, probably in my teenage years, it was really a thing like to open a door for a woman or, you know, whatever those type of things that we called chivalrous kind of things. Those were expectations that boys were being taught. And then this whole thing happened like in the 80s where it was like, how dare you? Do you think I can't open my own door? Well, you think that, you know, we're assuming that the woman is submissive and powerless and not able to take care of herself. So that's now men are are struggling as to what, what is it that they are supposed to do. Right. How confusing is that? Right. And I think in that proving of ourselves as women as being 
supposed equals, I, I really think that's a disservice to everybody, this equality stuff, because I think there's definitely wonderful strengths for men and wonderful strengths for women that are very different and, and should be celebrated instead of, you know, sand it off and make us all be in the same box. Mm-hmm. And so very confusing how to court a woman and not offend. Right. Right. So and those are lots of changes that we've seen very recently in the last 20 years of our society where, you know, our parents and grandparents for sure never did any of that. You know, girl, a girl didn't call the guy. The guy called. The guy took her out on the date. The guy paid. Those were all ways of dating is like, is this person going to be a good mate? It was your role. You knew what your role was and you just, you kind of lived, you know, that role. But in today's day and age, people are confused. They don't know what their role is. Right. So now this plays out in our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. So, so in the beginning, women are generous. Men like to receive. Everyone feels great. We have these lovely hormones that we really want to be close with our partner and have a lot of physical intimacy as well as spending a lot of time with emotional intimacy of getting to know each other and spending time together and doing new things because everything's new in the beginning. Well, we've also talked about this in past podcasts about how pornography also has shifted sexuality within relationships. It is not teaching us, men and women, you know, how to show up appropriately in a sexual manner in a relationship. And so now, you know, men are being taught that they don't have to be the pursuer. You right. Know, that women are the pursuers. Right. The, the woman's just going to show up, drop her clothes, and be ready to have sex. Right, right. <laughs> and that there isn't this warming up of the oven. There isn't this courtship. And that, that whole dance mm-hmm. that has to be developed, no one is teaching that. And if you're a single person, I would highly encourage you, even though this would be a very hard thing, to wait as long as possible before having intercourse and allow all that natural dance to play out. It's a really a wonderful time of a relationship that really sets the stage for the rest of the relationship. And when we have sex really fast and really soon without the emotional intimacy and the friendship and all of those other things then as the relationship progresses and things start to simmer down because other things become more important, which is what we talk about in the home study course, uh, couples really struggle with that. Another interesting complication is if a woman's on birth control, she's very sexually different hormonally. Mm -hmm. Hormonally, definitely. It changes. Including her sense of smell. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when a woman is pregnant, her sense of smell wants her to be around people she knows, her kin. But when she is in a place of uh, trying to attract a mate and get pregnant, she wants a genetically different person, a totally different smell. And there's times when someone who has been on the pill, they get married and then she goes off the pill and it's like, uh uh-oh. And then loses that sexual attraction. Right, because he's too genetically similar. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, the pheromones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's specific to biology and and the pill, but Mm -hmm. in 
general when it comes to sexual health within a relationship. Initially, most couples, they have that connection. They have that physical connection. They are attracted to each other. They, you know, have that passion and their sex life is very exciting. But as the relationship continues to grow and, you know, develop, that same passion starts to shift and change and it does decrease. Especially after a baby's born. Especially after kids are in the picture, sure. Because of the hormones, you know, and the biological changes. But also at the same time, you have these lifestyle changes, Mm -hmm. right? Shifts in career, shifts in responsibilities. And so now the couple that were focused on each other solely, now they have to focus on other things. They have to focus on kids and, and everything else in life. And I really want to get into the, the role of the, the woman in this scenario because she's the one that had the baby. And if the nature of women is to be generous, well, her person was receiving all this generosity. And now she has to give to this baby. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the guy kind of feels like, hey. Yeah, wh- where did you go? <laughs> what about me? Right. Right. And she feels very torn between her limited time, energy, and resources. And then it becomes very clear to her that here's this baby who needs her, who can't survive without her. And here's her partner who it seemed like an equal thing, except he didn't have to spend nine months pregnant and go through labor and have his body (laughs) get transformed and he doesn't have to breastfeed and he doesn't have to heal. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's not the same at all. And the man is exactly the same as before she got pregnant and after she had a baby. And so there's such a, a big divide that happens. It's really difficult for um, people to really understand that at a very conscious level of all the changes that have happened. Well, I mean, speaking of the physical changes, you know, the the fact of the matter is that as we age, we are not going to be as attractive as we were when we first met our partner. Oh, you're still as cute as you were the day I met you. <laughs> yeah, except for all this gray hair and receding hairline. But, you know, <laughs> really, the fact is that we are not designed to be perfect, you know, models. And as time goes on, that attractiveness changes. It changes from a physical attraction to more of this emotional and bonding attraction. And it's supposed to. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. We're, we're not supposed to stay in heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for 50 years of our life. Yeah. Right? No. And so in the it beginning... It sounds very painful. In the beginning, those type of things are your only focus. You remember like getting ready to go out at, on a Friday night and you're like, maybe I'm going to meet a person today. I don't know what's going to happen. And geez, if you live like that, I remember after we got married being like, oh, thank God, it's so wonderful. I don't even have to worry so much when we go out. We just have fun. I'm not trying to find a mate you know, mm-hmm. and we just get to have a lot more fun together. And so the the thing that happens after the physical attraction is actually something that we call the mental merger, which is where you've already set up the physical home, the kids, the house, the marriage. And now what you're doing is looking at your partner and you're each proving yourselves. Can I count on you? Are you there? 
Are you there? Are you there? And that is one of the things that can kill a sex life. When your partner slights you, when they say, you know what, I'm going to be home for dinner, and they're not. Mm -hmm. When they say, I'm not going to work overtime, I'm going to do this, whatever, and they don't. It destroys that trust. Yep. Right. And then you can't count on or depend on your partner to be there. Right. And so if you can't depend on them intellectually, there's no way you can depend on them physically. Research shows that to the degree that there is selfishness in a relationship, there is a lack of trust. So if one partner is being very selfish, the other person feels slighted quite often and doesn't really trust that their partner's there for them. And there's no way they can then get into the bedroom and be physically and emotionally vulnerable and have good sex. Well, if you're looking out for just yourself, mm -hmm. what can I get out of this? Then it turns into this competition or it turns into this transactional type of relationship, you know, versus what can I do for my partner? What can I do to help them in their life, make them feel better about their lives, make them feel good? Yeah, imagine that a plant needs like one gallon of water a year, but they need it dosed out, you know, once a week with a cup or something, however that would add up, whatever that would be. But instead of that happening regularly and weekly and allowing the plant to gently absorb the water and then grow and dry again and absorb more water and grow and dry again, it just gets dumped a bunch of water that just filters through the dry soil. They barely get to pull up any of that energy and it you could see how you'd really wither. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's what's happening in a relationship and it's always interesting to see couples who are doing what we would call a great couple uh, relationship behavior of taking many vacations together like a long weekend where there is time to de-stress and real intense quality yeah, time yeah spend time together de-stress and add to the relationship and they always say we have good sex on, on vacation mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's well, if important. You're, you're investing emotionally and investing that time and energy into your partner, then yeah, the, the culmination of that would be that union, that sexual union where you are now the closest you can ever be to another human being, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So what happens for a lot of women is in the beginning, they're very concerned about pleasing their partner, making sure their partner is staying attentive and staying with them and connecting with them and not straying, right? And then she gets pregnant and she feels not so attractive and is still very concerned with, I hope he finds me attractive and his sexual needs are getting met because I don't want him straying and I've got this baby on the way. And so she starts having service sex. Mm -hmm. And after a baby is born, that'll continue for quite a bit until she gets so depleted that her body won't let her. And a lot of women think they have a problem, that they're like, I don't know what happened to my sex drive. I just don't care anymore. And it's because the intimacy has dried up and the wrong emphasis was on why are you having sex when you don't want to be, which feels crappy for both people, I think. It absolutely mm -hmm. feels crappy for both. And for men, during that period of time, a lot of 
men start to utilize sex in a way to relieve stress. And so there is this tension build up because of whatever's going on in their life. And now service sex becomes stress sex for them. I think there's another little piece that is about their self-worth too. Like if a woman is rejecting her partner, then he's going to feel a lot of um, like, I'm not desirable. Right. Nobody wants me. Yeah. Yeah. Low self-esteem. Absolutely. That rejection is probably the most painful thing a man can feel in a relationship. And rejection in the bedroom is cuts deep. Yeah. Which is really hard because women know that. And so they do don't, they don't want to be doing that. So they have service sex and, you know, they're usually running around all day, splitting themselves between a job and what the kids need and taking care of a home and all the busyness that goes with that. And, you know, the female brain is just designed to think about so many things at one time Mm -hmm. where the male brain is much more compartmentalized and focused. And so if a guy wants to have sex, everything goes away. If a woman is... Which leads to, you know, that relief of stress because Mm -hmm. then you're not thinking about the 100 things that's going on, you know, in your career or bills or whatnot. So that compartmentalization is very useful in that that way. So here's some tips or secrets maybe for both men and women because I don't think women really understand what's going on for them. But as their feminine brain is thinking about, you know, I've got to pay this bill, I've got to take the kids to the doctor, I've got to, this is coming up, that's someone's birthday, i got to do this. And their partner comes and slaps them in the butt. Yeah, guys, don't do that. And guys think they're flirting. Guys think they're connecting. They're given the signal like, hey. And what happens to a woman's brain in that moment is it, it gets a jolt of shock. And it goes into this fight, flight, or freeze. And at first it's freeze, like, oh, crap, here's one more thing on my agenda. And then flight. I got to get away. I don't even want to be near him because he's ready. I, it, I It's not even on my radar right now. And what would be a way better thing to do is to maybe come and you know, hug your partner from behind or, you know, like massage her shoulders, you know, something that's very nurturing. So I I think we also need to put this into context, you know, just coming up and and slapping your your partner on the butt, it it is going to cause that jarring type of response, especially if there's no affection going on outside of that. Or communication. Or communication, or there's no emotional connection happening. You know, it's one thing that if the two of you are are relaxed, you guys are on vacation together, you're taking some couple time, and, you know, part of that connection there, you're playing, yeah, that's right? Flirting and, and flirting. Mm-hmm. And in that way, that would be fine because it's part of the same context. But when it's coming out of the blue and there's no connection happening outside of that, then it is just another thing on top of that pile. Right. It would be like putting a piece of bread in the oven and shutting the door and wondering why there's no toast at the end. (laughs) It's just a cold, dark place at that point. It's not doing anything. But if it is a behavior that is 
preheating the oven. Mm, yeah. Then, then that leads to something else. And so uh, there's a lot of touch points along the way that if those things are happening before you get ready to be intimate, then a woman is ready, much more readily available. And if she's overwhelmed and has a bunch of things on her plate and a guy comes in just like, all right, when's my turn? Well, that's not good sex for anybody. No, no. You know, I was just thinking about those those commercials where the parents are are like, oh, we've got... 20 minutes because yeah. the kids went down or something like that, and they both rushed to the bedroom. I really hate those commercials because it really portrays something that is just not realistic whatsoever. Parents who are just so drained, they don't have any energy. That's not the first thing that's going to come to their mind, really. They're really going to be thinking about like just wanting to spend time together and just... Or laugh. sit down and not have oh to gosh. run around. Just have fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, couples are just, they're not having fun because they're so stressed. And so just to have sex in that space would be almost, it would be detrimental to the relationship. And this is really where a lot of resentment starts to build in the relationship. Because if that's your only connection, your only touch point, you know, is to come up and, you know, smack your partner in the butt then it is just going to make your partner want to get away from you and not want to be close to you. And I've heard women say that. They're like, I don't want to be in the same room with him because it's just too much I pressure. I can't relax. Yeah. Right. I mean, you feel like, oh my gosh, like any moment alone then is just focused on the end, the end game and the end result. Mm-hmm. Right. And so here's another tip for you guys out there is that, you know, check in with what your intention is. Like if your intention is the end goal, right, just ejaculation and because you're stressed out and it's stress relief for you, then don't initiate sex. That's really not the time to do that, okay? If your end goal is to want to connect with your partner, want to feel close to them because you've been so distant, well, then you know what you're going to be starting to do and that's really starting with affection, So if you've ever gotten a massage or tried to meditate, you know that when you first start, your brain is like all over the place, your breathing's all over the place, you know, you're thinking and then five minutes goes by and you're like, wow, this sucks. I can't even relax. And 10 minutes goes by. And during that time, your brain is starting to release that oxytocin and the norepinephrines and the calming, Mm -hmm. soothing, uh, de-stressing things. And that's why we go and get massages and why they're so good for us because they really reduce that stress and they help us then get into that place, that place that's like the alpha waves and, oh, doesn't this feel good? And that takes about 20 minutes. Hashtag 20 minutes, guys, right? At least. (laughs) At least. And so if your partner, and this could be on either side, is wanting to have stress sex or is whatever, try doing a back rub first. Try doing heart holding where you just hold each other and you let your hearts have a conversation and let those that brain chemistry kind of get to that softer place where you're ready to have more of a depth of connection because sex is so much better 
when your brain is in that place and, and let your brain settle down. But in particular, the female brain needs it a lot. If you're thinking right now that, wow, that seems like a lot of work, um, then yeah, you, you're, you're on the wrong path here, right? Because that's really what it takes. That's really what it takes to, to connect at that level. Otherwise, it is just service sex. It is just stress sex. And it is not connection. You know, if you think it's a lot of work, think about like if you wanted to have a delicious steak, right? You would go to the butcher. You would choose a really good-looking piece of meat. You would bring it home. You would season it. You would let it become room temperature. You would fire up the grill, right? All those things. Mm -hmm. Or you could just, you know, get a frozen steak and throw it in the microwave. Yeah, that's (laughs) terrible. And it's the same thing. That's what it feels like for women. Like, okay, let's... Well, get her done. Yeah, you know. that's a waste of a good ribeye. Right? And so that energy you put into it comes back. And it is it is better to have less frequent sex with better quality than more frequent sex with less quality. Yes. Absolutely. And so I, I heard this on another podcast where, you know, this was a sex therapist. And she said, you know, this couple comes in and they're having sex like once a month. And the guy's like, you know, I'd really like to have sex like twice a week. And the woman goes, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a shower. I want you to light some candles. I want you to put on some music. I want you to, you know, change the sheets on the bed, give me a back rub, and then we'll have sex twice a week. And he says, never mind, I'll just stick to once a month. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you really want to check in with yourself if you don't want to care about your partner and take care of their emotional state in that way because it's not something you need or you are stuck in, if you're a a terrible word predator and you just want to conquer and roll over and go to sleep, that's not intimacy. Well, this just, you know, relates back to what we were talking about and that's selfishness, you know, and it takes some sacrifice in order to connect together, to meet in the middle. And if you're not willing to do that for your partner and you're not willing to give, you know, that the saying of givers gain, that that's really where that connection sexually is going to add to your relationship versus take away from it. Especially if you're under a lot of stress. Yes, absolutely. Because what's a release for a man is a receptive for a woman. So that stress is now going out of you and into her. Right. You know, over time, when we're talking about this over time, when a woman allows herself to have sex when she doesn't want to, which gives her partner the idea that everything is okay when it's really not, she'll get to a place where she gets so depleted where she won't want to. And it leaves the guy very confused. And at that point, a guy would really like to have an instruction manual that says, okay, here's what you do for two minutes. Step one. <laughs> Step two. Do this. And for four minutes, do that. And the reason there is no instruction manual is because women are like the wind. And what's what's needed today is not needed tomorrow. Right, right. And men want to know, here's exactly what I need to do. And a woman can't give you that because she doesn't even know what she's going to need on the day she's going to need it. So one day she might say, well, I'd really like you to talk with me and play a game together and, you know, get a babysitter. And another day she might say, 
something completely different. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it isn't because she's being, you know, coyish or something. It's really because she changes hormonally. She changes. Stress levels change. uh, The busyness of the day, all that stuff changes. And so it really is a dance. And it takes communication. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes couples talking about their sexual life and, you know, what is working, what isn't, and what changes over time. And so this this idea of talking is very different for men and women because, and we've talked about this before, because of that hunter brain that doesn't need to come back and give the report. How did it go? Fine. Here's here's my hunt. I got it. And it doesn't matter where you got it because the deer's not going to be there the next time. But for a woman, she has to share. Well, you know, I took the kids here and we did this, blah, 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 blah. And that's the way her brain is designed. And she's got nowhere to talk that out. And if you know that your your wife is talking to her girlfriends or her sisters or her parents or other people way more than you, that is going to wear your relationship down over time. If you're big not present. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a really big turnoff. And so I know it's not so sexy to have these conversations but what happens is that releases that thing from her brain and when those things get released from her brain then what's left is a softening and a vulnerability and a desire and if those things aren't released the desire just doesn't happen so i i know we didn't give any really clear turn-ons and turn-offs but Obviously, you're you're kind of picking up on this conversation that there is this slow warm up that is really necessary in order to connect sexually for a couple. And if you are just, you know, coming up to your partner and you know putting this pressure on them to have sex, then it's just not going to do that. And if you really want to turn on your partner, this is from the male perspective, right? You have to connect with them emotionally, right? They want to feel that connection. They want to feel that love and, and care and compassion from you. Go take something off of their plate. Do something that is going to make them feel less stressed. Go and, uh, you know, give them that back rub. And also give them that back rub without the expectation of having sex. Take that off the table so that it is not connected in any way. You're giving because you want to show that you love them and that you care and you have this compassion for them and there are no strings attached. And I can guarantee you she's thinking about you a whole lot more than you're thinking about her. So make a commitment to do those touch points. You know, send those I'm thinking about you texts or give a phone call and check in. How's your day going? I'm thinking about you. Whatever those little things are that that keep that connection and that oven warmed up during the day, that those little touch points are worth a whole bunch. So I think we did give some practical stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. the the back rubs, the nurture, the spending time talking through and processing the day, the don't grab and go. (laughs) Don't grab and go. That's great. I like that. And, um, and and really check in and see, are, are we stressed here? Or are we connecting? And sometimes you're going to have stress sex. 
Sometimes it's absolutely okay, and it's mm-hmm. all there's time for, and that's totally fine. But if that's the majority of your sex for many, many years, that's where the problem is. So there needs to be, you know, some time and space around. Let's let's go to an Airbnb or something, and and with a hot tub and relax and have some wine or, or you know do have time for massage or whatever those kind of things are so that there are touch points in the year where you're actually having that depth of connection. And don't just settle. You know, this goes out to both people, right, in the couple. Don't just settle for the where things are at right now. Work through it. Work for something better. Talk about it, right? And and really work towards creating that awesome passionate connection that you guys both want. And we're really talking about this from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. did settle. We didn't even know we were settling. Right. And we went through this sort of organically because there wasn't a wonderful podcast called Couple Synergy, Real Couples, Real <laughs> Stories, where we could learn about this stuff. And so when we got to that place of the depletion and the disconnect and the we both had the the love and the desire, but we just weren't connecting. We just really didn't know why. So this is really normal developmental stuff. So don't don't feel too frustrated because life really changes and it takes work and effort and it's so worth it in the end. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please let us know how you enjoyed our show. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, our home study course, the Couple's Weekend Intensive, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And I'd really recommend that the, if you're really feeling disconnected from your partner, the home study course is like eight date nights. And it's date nights that are emotionally intensive, that do help you feel connected, which is awesome for your sex life. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. Mm-hmm.